Kia ora and welcome to the Stronger Dads Collective podcast, where we aim to help dads be stronger versions of themselves as fathers, people, and in their athletic pursuits. I'm your host, Hayden Pritchard, and you can find me at hjp underscore stronger dads on Instagram, and you can learn more about me at hjpmethod.co.nz. Before you finish listening today, be sure to rate and subscribe on the platform you're listening to. Right, let's get into today's episode. Kia ora and welcome to episode 58 of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. Today I have a guest whose voice, uh, when he first spoke to me on this phone, I just couldn't help but think I was in the wrong place because I typically hear it um, in my car when I'm listening to News Talk ZB and there's the you know sports show on on the weekends or the little segment there where he's on. So um, today I'm joined by Jason Pine or Piney as he's better known and he is a husband and father of two. Um, as I mentioned, he's a sports broadcaster. Um, and probably for me, he's kind of the voice of uh, football, really. And I was thinking back when I was preparing for this episode, um, it was well, 15 odd years ago, I think I just said before, um, to the New Zealand versus Bahrain game down at the Caketon in Wellington. Um, and I just thought, hey, what better place to start? Let's let's go right back to memory lane for me. But it would have been an even better night, I imagine, for you. Um, what are your memories of that game? Yeah, Hayden, kia ora, mate, and thank you for having me on. I'm uh, yeah delighted to be here to um, to have a conversation about all sorts of things. My <laughs> most memories of that night. Um, I always think of the three loudest noises in the game. Um, the first one was the goal. Uh, Rory Fallon scoring a goal yeah. just before half time, and and you know just the explosion of joy that accompanied that. And then there was the final whistle, which again was just obviously this re- relief that they'd done it and they'd won the game and you know that there was a, a pretty uh, a pretty loud noise then but the 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 noise that I remember most is when the all whites goalkeeper Mark Paston saved a penalty early in the second half and um, the way that the the qualification was structured was that New Zealand had to win the game or it be a scoreless draw to go through to penalties a one-all draw would have sent Bahrain through. So at that stage, it was 1-0 to New Zealand. A penalty to Bahrain. And you're thinking, right, if they score this, then the All-Whites have to go down the other end and try and find another one. Anyway, mm. Mark Paston saves the penalty. And I swear to you, Hayden, the ground was shaking. It was so loud. Um, and just this explosion, this cacophony of noise. Uh, of of I never experienced anything like it and haven't since. So yeah, yeah. big memories really. Um, had the fortune of commentating the game for radio, which I just you know relished. And mm. then afterwards there was all the, the post match media. I think I got home about three in the morning uh, once I'd <laughs> filed all the audio and I, I didn't didn't go out on the town or anything. I was working and um and I remember driving home and there were just people everywhere still at that time of the morning. And yeah, just a, just a perfect storm of a night. Amazing night. I know you were there as well and your yeah. experience in the stand obviously be different from mine, but yeah, just a, just a, the mar- most marvelous, memorable magic night. I, yeah, I definitely remember, as you say, the, the whole stadium was basically shaking and like I've been to a few games down there, um, you know, watching different rugby games and cricket and that sort of stuff down at the Caketon, but I don't think I've ever, yeah, I've never been there for a night like that where it was that just that noisy and and that like the the shaking of the ground because the other key match that I actually was lucky enough to go to was when Dan Carter kind of had that breakout match against the British and Irish Lions down there. My brother five, actually yep. got drawn out of the ballot, but he couldn't go because he was going to be somewhere else. So me and Dad oh. ended up going down for that. But 
for me, probably, I think I remember that Bahrain game more, aside from the obviously, you know, Dan Carter exploitation of, of the British and Irish that night. It was unreal. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that Bahrain game, just the way that that stadium shook and, as you say, the noise, um, it was just unbelievable. I remember jumping around. I was hugging strangers and high-fiving everyone. It was it was unreal. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, from my uncle, it was a good 21st present, you know. It definitely went the way that we wanted it to. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. I, I yeah, fond, fond, fond memories of that. And it's one of those ones that you sort of forget. Well, I forget that I was there almost because you sort of, it's almost, you know, one of those historical NZ sporting moments. You know, it's one of those ones that goes down in the history books and kind of, oh, I remember when this happened, you know, like that's what it's going to be, one of those. And you kind of got to be there. So um, I can't complain about that. And obviously you can't either. <laughs> yeah, no, amazing. And, and you're so right. You know, you you talk, it's one of those, I think the stadium holds 38,000, absolutely rammed. And, you know, I'm sure I've spoken to 100,000 people who, who who are adamant <laughs> they were there. They were there that night. Um, yeah, I was there that night in 05 with Dan Carter's test as well. Um, yeah. Uh, I took my father-in-law. We, we went, he... He, um, we had two tickets and we went round to um, my father-in-law, my, my wife's dad, mum and dad's place. And he thought we were going to the rugby, my wife and I. And we got there oh. and he's the biggest rugby fan. And we got there and said, hey, Michael, actually, Bex, it's my wife. Bex isn't going to go. She's going to stay here. You're coming to the rugby with me. So oh, it was really so cool. He, he, yeah, he, he, so that was um, a pretty special night as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of those stadiums, isn't it? It kind of does all the sport, which is cool. Um, and yeah, definitely, definitely had some fond memories of my growing up there. You know, we used to travel down on the train because um, we're based up in the Manawatu here. So we'd come down you, and that time you'd go, you'd stop at Pataparomu and you'd jump on the train and you'd shoot down. And because I was a Chiefs fan, um, I'd always be wearing my Chiefs jersey to the, you know, the Chiefs-Canes games. And this was back in the days when the Chiefs weren't as uh, as good as they are these days. So when you managed to get the win, you'd always be pretty happy, you know, walking around, you know, on the, on the train with your shirt out. And then if it was a loss, you'd put your coat on over top and <laughs> quietly sit in the corner of the train and try not to get too much grief. So... Um, yeah, Brilliant. one of those one of those cool places, really. Um, but how did you kind of, I guess, well, shoot, we'll, we'll rewind all the way back. Obviously, you're a you're a sport loving guy, you know, given that that's your job and that's what you do every day. But how did you kind of get into that? Like, what was your childhood like? Were you always a fan of sport, and did you envisage this future, or kind of what was that like for you growing up? Yeah, I mean, I've, I have always loved sport. Um, you know, played it and and listened to it. Um, you know, on the radio for ever since I was a young boy. Mainly cricket, actually, on yeah. on what's called Sports Roundup back in the um in the sort of the the seventies and eighties. And mm. and yeah, I'd always enjoyed sport. And I got to, but I got to secondary school, and um, I was a bit of a talker. Um, you know, I liked speeches and debating and that sort of stuff. So I thought, okay, well, the logical career for me would be would be um, to become a lawyer. So yeah. I went to Victoria University to study law. Um, unfortunately, I failed the first year. Um, yeah. And at the time, it was the biggest catastrophe that, that had befallen me in my 19-year <laughs> life. Because yeah. obviously, if you fail first year law, they don't let you You're do not in. <laughs> law. You're not in, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I repeated and got in the second time. But by that stage, it was a funny system where second year law was there was a lot of people trying to get into it and they they mm -hmm. the preference was given to people who had, who had passed first year the first time oh. so i was down the list so that to cut did a you, very long did you go back so you had to go back and do all the same papers again and you were yeah, they let yeah. you do just repeat the papers and try and get a high grade basically it was one paper oh. i had to repeat yeah I, oh, it was called okay. legal, yeah. Sy legal system i had yeah. to i had to repeat 
got a better grade, but then couldn't make it into second year law. So cross credited um, and did a did a BA in, um, in mm. politics. And I was getting towards the end of my degree, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and then a friend of mine had been um, to broadcasting school in Christchurch and had picked up a job at a radio station called More FM in Wellington. And his yeah. job was was the graveyard shift. He started work at midnight and um, th- this shift doesn't even exist anymore. It's just it's just a computer that plays the music now. <laughs> but he sat in there between midnight and six and played Jeez, songs. Six and, hours and, long. Yeah, yeah, six hours long, middle <laughs> of the night. Um, so he said, hey, why don't you come in and see what I do? So I went in one, one morning, about one in the morning, and sat with him. And I think by about quarter past one, I thought, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, not yes. necessarily at one in the morning, but <laughs> um, but it, it kind of grabbed me. So I applied for the same broadcasting school he had been to in Christchurch. Uh, got in and it kind of went from there really. Um, mm-hmm. I started off in music radio. My first job was in Masterton at Radio Wairarapa, so just over the hill from where yeah. I'd grown up in Wellington. Um, had six brilliant years in Nelson. Uh, came back to Wellington in, in 99 and have had various jobs over time, some of them in management, um, yeah. but I sort of moved more into the talk side of things with News Talk ZB and it's kind of led on to, um, to you know, to being able to combine two passions really and I mean yeah. because I love I love I love the media and I love sport and I just you know consider myself extremely fortunate that I've had the chance to combine the two and um mm. I don't really hate know what else I would do <laughs> um I'm not qualified for anything else I'm not sure what a BA in politics gets you um, in terms of job offers um so I'm I've I I, I, I feel very lucky to, to do what I do I take it seriously of course mm. um but but I um I do feel very because I know a thousand people would would swap places with me in a heartbeat. So yeah, so I, I do I, I never take it for granted. Yeah, yeah. When I when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, that actually like the more I, you know doing this podcast, I was thinking that would be an awesome job. Like you just kind of get to watch sport, think about sport, like write something insightful about the sport that you've just watched, and then you know talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sounds well, like quite a good good life you know yeah. if you're already keen and interested and enthusiastic does it dull your passion at all or do you think it just makes you more passionate about it yeah it's a really good question because people often ask hey would you, you know do you, you if, if it's your job you know having to watch so much of it read about it keep up to date with it does it become a bit mundane it, it never has for me mm. um I, I think if i had to, if i was a broadcaster and i was doing I don't know a cooking show, for example, um, which yeah. will never happen. But, but just to, let's go. Just go with me on this hypothetically. Um, I think it would probably be something that I'd really have to make an effort on. But the fact yeah. is, I've always read the back pages of a newspaper before I've read the front pages. I've always been a fan of sport, and it's just been my good fortune in many ways to to have that collide with my with my occupation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look, I and and I do. I realise how lucky I am. I'm. And even hearing you say it, um, you know, you get to watch sport, you get to talk about it, write a bit about it, and that's and then they pay you for it. Yeah. Like, I should be paying. I should be paying them. You know. <laughs> Don't say that too loud, mate. They might. Uh... No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> and so then, like, if that kind of was where you ended up, were you involved actively in sport in terms of you said that you played a whole bunch of stuff? Like, did you play at a high level? Did you get to interact with people who sort of knew about it that helped you get into this stuff, or was it? Was the sports side kind of separate from the broadcasting side up until you were already in the industry? Yeah, good question. Yeah, like I was a, I was what you'd call an enthusiastic participant, I think, in sport. I loved it. Yeah. And as a kid, I, I, I did. I took it very seriously. I played, 
Uh, um, football was my main sport, but I also played cricket and squash, and I like to run. Mm-hmm. Um, I played football at National League level in Nelson, so you know that was a, a reasonable level, and I absolutely yeah. loved it. But I was never. Um, I've sort of moved around a little bit. I remember when I was down in Nelson, I used to play at um, centre back, and yeah. then I moved and I've played a bit up front. And but but I mean, let's let's be very very clear about this. So I, I was never uh, like the first name on the team sheet. I I, I yeah. trained hard. Um, I loved it, and I'm quite tall, so I used to win the odd header, which was yeah. in my favour. Um, so look, I I certainly would not would not say to you that I had any amazing ability, but I did. Um, I, I've always been interested in the history and mm. the and the the layers of of not just football and cricket, but all sports. I love my rugby. Um, I've come to um, you know through my my work, you know, appreciate a lot of other sports, Olympic sports, um, and and relatively new. Um, sport because you know the other day we had our first two um, sports climbers named yeah. to go to the Olympics. You know, so here's another sport that I need to find out more about because <laughs> if I want to talk intelligently to these um, to these Olympic climbers, I kind of need to at least have a basic grasp of what it is <laughs> that they do. You know, so yeah, um, uh, so I, it's the the interest in sport led me to play it, but yeah, um, but I, but but. Never at a level that that you could you could say was was anything higher than that. What I said before, you know, a bit of National League football. And yeah, else. yeah, interesting, eh? And that's I guess that's one of those things these days you kind of see on some of the stations. You know, it's a lot of the old players that yes. end up in the broadcasting side. And I mean, you even see that with with the coaching now as well. You know, it used to be that you had people that were coaches. You know, who would then coach the teams. But oftentimes these days it is the players are coming back and filling some of these roles, which probably adds like a little bit more to the competition, right? Because I mean, you're not an All Black, so so when you put your name in for an application, it's quite different to the All Black putting their name, and they already carry a bit of weight or something for that position, you know, if, if it was that kind of scenario. Um, so yeah. I guess you've been kind of, I guess, a little bit lucky in that aspect as well, because you got into it before that kind of shift. And I know that's not the case, you know, everywhere, but um, you definitely notice a little bit more of that now. You know, the commentary teams and things tend to be made up a lot more of former players, which helps, I guess, as you say, with the inside, because that's one of the things they have right as a really deep knowledge of the game of the tactics of the coaching of the emotion side of it like all of those things which allow you if you've got that gift of the gab as well um to be able to talk intelligently about it on the radio and kind of you know make people understand the game a bit better and understand things about that game a bit more yeah yeah and i think look and there's a lot to be said for insight like i could never as you've just said i could never talk to you about what it's like to be an all black what it's like mm. to go out and in front of that many people with that with that much pressure at a rugby world cup um but i i think there you know there's also a place in broadcasting sports broadcasting for broadcasters and that's yeah. kind of what i you know and, and you, you look at guys who i um have admired for a long time grant Lisbeth, um you know one of our top if not the best rugby commentator in, mm. the, in the country for many many years he, he played a little bit of Wellington B, but was never an All Black. Um, you know, others you look around, and 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 you're right. I, I sort of feel like in a in a commentary situation, particularly in cricket, it really does help. And and I know, yeah. for example, in Australia, I think the the um the Australian cricket commentary team is almost exclusively former players. players. I'm not sure that yeah. there's any broadcasters there at all who who have you know have just come through a broadcasting path. So I think there is a there's certainly a a, a happy medium to be struck. Because that's the other thing about um, about, especially in something like radio, you still got to play the ads. You still got to tell people what the time is. You still got to, yeah. you know, have a have a, a structured conversation, and and you know, in an interview situation, 
get good information out of whoever it is that you're interviewing. So that's a mm. learned skill. And um, But what you find with sports people doing it is that they're often high achievers anyway, and they don't yeah. want to sound yeah. stupid. So they'll, they'll <laughs> put as much work into their, you know, their post-playing uh, occupation as they used to. Yeah. And they're very coachable too, very yeah. coachable. So, yeah, so it usually, usually works out for the best. And I guess that would be the types of players that would be willing to put their hands up for something like that, right, is the ones that are actually willing to put in the work and learn a new skill. Yeah. And as you say, they've had years, if not decades, um, of being able to learn new things and practice and practice and practice and make sure they get it right. So it kind of, yeah, it does make sense in that regard that you're applying that same sort of, I guess, discipline to a different career pathway. And as you say, you don't want to make a fool out of yourself and you probably want to get a contract again next year, right? So <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and jobs jobs in the media are certainly not growing in number. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah once you're yeah. in one, um, you want to do your best to keep it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Were you, were you ever with Radio Sport as well, back when Radio Sport? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, that hosted. kind of disappeared, didn't it, a few years back, which, like, for me, when I was growing up, that was that was cricket, right? It was Radio Sport. I'd, I'd have the five-day test match on in my ear, you know, or whatever it was when you're out and about and you'd be listening to it the entire time. That's kind of almost more my memory of test matches than probably sitting in front of a TV um, because yeah. you didn't really have that ability to sit still for five days when you're a teenage kid, right? You went about doing yeah. things. Um, that's right. And but I, yeah, great. they stopped. I was like, cricket, oh man, that's, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, cricket's great for that too. I think cricket's the one sport that actually translates probably better to radio than than many yeah. others because you can be doing other things and and they can paint the picture. She was on Radio Sport. In fact, I was on Radio Sport when it closed down in early 2020 yeah. um, when COVID came along and the, you know the whole world changed and and um, yeah the, the radio station was basically shut down um, yeah. and yeah it was a it was a very challenging time for. Um, for many of my colleagues, um, I was fortunate in that I, I was uh, kept on in a, in a different role with News Talk ZB. Um, mm. Many of my colleagues who were exclusively radio sport employees lost their jobs. Um, they've all yeah. pretty much, without exception, uh, pivoted to whatever is next. But, yeah, no, it was a, um, a pretty challenging time for everybody. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, I'd, that was, yeah, that was the thing. I remember that close. I'm like, who's going to do sport now? Like, how do we, yeah. how do we still listen to this stuff? And where's that going to come from? Like, <laughs> you kind of didn't understand, I guess, the economics or the the reason behind the decision when you're a little bit, you know, <laughs> not involved or engaged in it. Because as you yeah. say, media is a little bit of a challenge. And there is, you know, the funding things you've sort of seen in the, in the news over the last few years, like there's clearly challenges in that space. Um but I mean, News Talk ZB. I don't think they've got any challenges, do they? They seem to be <laughs> seem to well, be the most popular. Yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, it, it does have a big audience. Um, and and you know, um, media is tough because the the only way you make your money is through advertising. Yeah. Um, and it's a very expensive um, radio, less so than something like television. Uh, but it's very, you know, the cost of hiring the people for a station like News Talk ZB, where it's just talk you know you can't just play yeah. songs for you know you can't just play songs for an hour you know you got to talk yeah. and um but yeah so and the advertising market is competitive you know there are yeah. all sorts of different ways people can spend their advertising dollar um mm -hmm. and even if you convince them that radio is the is the one for them then they've got a choice of about 30 different radio stations to <laughs> you know to choose from to place their advertising dollar so yeah stuff out there um yeah. again you know um I, i've never been involved in the sales side of the business but i am um, eternally grateful that the people selling um, News Talk ZB to advertisers are, are doing a good job of it. Yeah, yeah. I guess it helps when you've got the popular, you know, a few popular segments as well that are probably the most popular times on, you know, on the radio, you know, in the mornings and those sorts of things. It's it's a pretty, 
pretty good win, I think, for ZB most of, you know, in a lot of those spaces in terms of when you hear, or at least when you hear about the awards and things that get given out, it tends to be there's a few, you know, for the for the ZB stations. Obviously, you you know, the content is good as well. Well, you hope so. Yeah, I, th- I, <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Um, and yeah, we've got some, some I've got some terrific colleagues. So yeah, um, yeah but again, we know that it's it's competitive and ever changing. Yeah, um, yeah. I think know, that's the biggest all, challenge, yeah. eh? Like, is with yeah. things like social media, as you say, all these other like avenues like that now, where people can put advertising money, and as those things grow in popularity, that's probably pulling people away from things like radio as well. You know, um, you know, a lot of people I talk to will say, "Oh, I don't listen to the radio anymore." You know, I play the music through the, uh, you know, through the Bluetooth now in the car, and I don't even think about it. I'm like, yeah. "Geez, like." That's pretty common these days. I've still got a car where we have to, you know, we have to change the headset to put the Bluetooth one on. So I don't have the automatic <laughs> yes. Apple CarPlay. So I guess I don't have that luxury if that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, radio's like a, a radio has survived. It's a survive. It's a medium that has survived. You know, a lot of people thought that TV would kill radio, but it yeah, survived. Yeah. A lot of people thought CDs would kill radio, but it survived. You know, the internet came along and then Spotify. And as you say now, social media and through it all, radio mm-hmm. has survived. It's evolved. Um, it still means a lot to people. And I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I mean, you're not going to get, <laughs> uh, you're not going to get an objective argument from me. Unfortunately, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I absolutely love the medium and I think it still provides a, a, um, a source of education, of entertainment, of information and of company to a lot of people as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I still think there's, well, I mean, as I say, I'm biased, but I, I hope that there's still a place for it um, in amongst a pretty cluttered marketplace. I think what you say as well about the relationship side as well, like people kind of develop a bit of a relationship with someone, you know, like I hear your voice come on here and it's like I've listened to you every day, you know, and you'd have no no clue in the world who I am. Um, it is kind of the same thing with, you know, I guess that's where, I, where the podcast side kind of appeals to me as well, right, is because there are similarities with radio and with talk radio as well, is that you get to hear yeah. someone, you kind of feel like, you know them, you know, and so when you when you list, turn them on each day, it's like you're listening to a mate chatting to you or chatting about the latest whatever's happening in the news or the sports or whatever. That's kind of, as you say, I think that relational side and humans tend to be very relational. Um, and radio does do that because it's regular, right? Every time in the morning, this is the person on. I know I'm going to hear this voice. I know I'm going to listen to them talk about these topics and they're probably going to have this perspective and I'm going to agree or disagree. Like um, you almost have that dynamic, but it's a one way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and that's I think and radio is by its nature very impersonal. It's me sitting in a like like I am at the moment, sitting in a room by myself <laughs> with a microphone, talking to what could be, you know, I, depending on the time, it could be, it might be nobody, but you hope it's a few. <laughs> and ZB's got a big audience, so it, it's breaking down the impersonality of one to a thousand, and and trying to talk to one on one, so that when you tune yeah. in, you think, oh, hey, we we are just having a conversation, even though it's one way. Hmm. And I mean, that's why that's why I love the talkback element of my show so much is um, people feel, I hope anyway, and, and they continue to ring. So they must um, <laughs> that they can ring and have a conversation that I'm approachable, yeah. that, you know, that I'm not going to I'm not going to shout them down um, and and will make them feel silly. Um, you know, I, 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 I love that part of it when there is genuine interaction with with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I think when I first sat down with with this mic and I did my first episode, which was just me talking to myself. That was one of the most strange things. Like that first time when you do that, cause you know that like you've listened to podcasts before. So you know that someone else has done this exact same thing, probably same thing with you and you went to broadcasting school, right? You, you've heard people just talking on the radio before. So when you talk on the mic, you know, there's people, you know, probably on the other end or that might come on the other end, but it's still such a strange 
thing. Like, can you remember back to some of those first sort of, I guess, times when you got into it? Like, what was that like for you? Was it something you found yourself quite natural at or did it take a while to get used to <laughs> chatting to a microphone? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, actually. I, I think, um, yeah, I think like anything, it, it, it did take a bit of time and it was daunting too because mm. – you know, you you all of a sudden you you know that what you're saying is going out to an audience, um, and you know none of us wants to be embarrassed or look stupid or sound stupid. Um, mm. it, 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 it yeah, I it I think it constantly evolves over time. I think I, starting off in music radio was probably a good a uh, good thing because the the things you say on the air uh, the breaks are a lot shorter. You know, really yeah. you're just linking yeah. songs up and talking about interesting things here and there. But um. You know, and and so I think it set me up quite well for um, where I am now, where you mm-hmm. know on News Talks FB the breaks are a lot longer. I'm doing interviews, I'm doing talk back, I'm you know putting opinion pieces across. I'm sorry, my cat is just um, <laughs> that's uh, right. here. So if you can hear her in the background, that's what that that, uh, <laughs> that small whining is. She wants to get in or get out anyway. Um, so yeah, but uh, it's it's something that's evolved over time, and um, and yeah, like anything, I think you know, like any skill that people acquire and develop. Um, you know, practice, uh, take, you know, doing it over a prolonged period of time, listening to feedback, and there's no shortage of that, um, and, and you know, and making adjustments as as they are appropriate. Have you ever had any experiences where you've had someone, like, you know, I guess phone, write a letter, email, whatever, and hit you up about something you said? Because that's one of the things, as you say, when you talk on the mic, you're saying something out there, and you might say something stupid, or you might say something that gets on the wrong side of someone like have you had any of those experiences where things have not gone down too well or has it kind yeah, of been yeah. all right for you and at the moment and um, these days we have a we have a text machine um yeah. so you can text your <laughs> thoughts anonymously basically from your phone into into the zb studio and that immediately as the text arrives pops up on a screen i was going to oh, say so you see that straight away yeah see it yeah. straight away so if you texted or if anyone texts the show um that that text arrives on a screen just to my left, basically, as I'm sitting in the studio, and and it's pretty unfiltered, Hayden. You know, and not everybody agrees with what you say. Um, and I think the anonymity of it as well, the fact that they can just fire off a text, yeah, um, is a lot different from actually someone ringing up and taking you to task on things. Although that happens as well, but yeah, through the text machine, and then also through social media. You know, there's, and I know that you know anybody who's even remotely in the public eye, be it through the media or through sport or through having a high profile position of any sort, just basically can become the target of, mm. you know, of a keyboard warrior. All somebody needs is an internet connection and they can comment about anything they like on any number of forums, whether yeah. it's Facebook comments, the, you know, the, the comments at the bottom of a news article, sending a text into a radio station or just putting a tweet out something like that, there, there's any number of ways that you can just anonymously bag somebody. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a matter of developing a, a bit of a filter. Um, a really good piece of advice I've taken on board recently is that if a person's phone number isn't in my phone, then their opinion isn't actually that important. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the people whose opinions of me and my work are important to me are my bosses, my friends, my family, um, and and people who's you know like I say people who are in my phone. Yeah, that's my yeah. that's my my fano. So you know somebody just texting something in from a number that is you know just just an anonymous person. Sure, you take feedback on board if it's constructive, but 
yeah, that's that's kind of been it's still been a really good instead. I used to I used to worry more than I do now, yeah. and I think developing a bit of a thick skin and a and a an effective filter is pretty important. Yeah, 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 and it's yeah, you are right that it is really easy for someone just to say something when they're just you know behind a screen or they've got a fake profile on Instagram or even their real profile but you can't see it or whatever it is you know like it's pretty easy to throw whatever you want out there and you kind of yeah I can't understand the like reasoning or rationale behind that like I guess with sport people get very emotional and they see things their way you know not necessarily always you know actually what happened you know they kind of have their filter and their lens applied to it you know so it's probably probably not too hard sometimes to um to get people set off and especially because oftentimes you're doing talk back close to the events right and so you're getting that really raw emotional thought process like I think it was after the might have been after the world cup final because I think that finished in the morning the rugby world cup final last year you know that was that was one of the first things I did when I was you know driving back after the game and I was like I need to listen to what other people are saying and <laughs> and like you know the different opinions that you get you can tell people get you know really fired up and really emotive about a ref's decision or something like that so <laughs> yeah we often I don't know say how you really that, manage yeah. that because they you know you are you're in the heat of the moment it's the heat of someone you know they're really emotional it means a lot to them so they're sometimes going to say things they're probably going to regret right yeah, and we often say that um, the easiest day of talkback in, 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 in sports radio is when the All Blacks lose. Yeah. Um, you know, because, the you know, I remember um, 2022, really challenging year for the All Blacks. You know, they lost the mm. Test Series to Ireland, lost a couple of Test matches to, or one to South Africa, then came home, lost to Argentina and Christchurch. Mm. Anyway, they, you know, because we all expect the All Blacks to win every time. Um, and we just knew, and, and it proved to be the case, that, I basically, I'm on from midday till three, as soon as the midday news finished and I started talking, the phones just started to ring and they didn't stop for three hours, um, you know, with people, you know, because, you know, people are 10 times more likely to criticise than they are to praise. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and this, like you said, you know, you want to hear what other people are saying. Um, <laughs> we, we get huge audiences tuning in and, and, you know, most people will never call the radio station. Um, but a lot will. And, um, <laughs> you know, you almost want to hear your own opinions reflected back through. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what you're trying to say, isn't it? Yeah, I thought that too. I th- yeah, he did have I a saw that. game. Or what, yeah, I <laughs> saw that as well. And yeah, so That knock-on was two phases yeah, out or three phases out. He right, shouldn't have even been allowed right. to call that. <laughs> that's right. And, yeah, and, and refs come in for it and TMOs. And, yeah, I mean, we provide, obviously, a, a vehicle through which people can give voice to their opinions. And, and going back to what I said before, you know, um, Yes, you can do that on social media. You can have, you can have conversations with people. But the, I think the audio part of it and the mm. ability to express emotion through the way you say something is, is a, as a collective. It's like it's like being in a room with a bunch of other rugby fans and all chatting about it. That's what <laughs> yeah. that's what I that's the kind of environment I guess that we try to try to create. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it is interesting. Eh? Like. Do you ever have challenges with that, though, where you're having to actually kind of calm someone down or cool someone down? Like, how often are you kind of having to manage that or have your finger on the mute button or turn off button? Or whatever? <laughs> yeah, occasionally you can, you know, you can usually. And the good thing about it is we don't put calls straight to air. If, if you wanted to call the radio station and talk to me about whatever it was, when you ring the studio number, you go through to my producer and he'll answer the phone you won't be on the air and he'll he'll ask yeah. you your name and what you want to talk about and then you know he'll kind of suss you out and if you're a bit crazy he'll politely <laughs> decline the call 
but yeah. you know, that's that's a very small percentage. Um, and then he'll he'll say, okay, Hayden, um, Pony will be with you in a moment. And so what I see on the screen in front of me is is a list of names that are waiting to talk, and I'll see your name and whoever else. And he'll often write something underneath, like a little clue, like oh, Hayden wants to talk about um, the fact that that knock-on was called four phases ago, or whatever yeah. it was. So I've got a clue as to what it is that you want to talk about, and I yeah. can just lead you into it. Um, Okay, let's go back to the lines. Hayden, um, you reckon that knock-on was a terrible call? And then you can go straight into it rather than, yeah. g'day, mate, how are you going? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? And it's all, you know, no, no, <laughs> we don't need to hear any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah all the yeah. knock so We could dispense with those. Um, so, yes, <laughs> and then, so you can't, and often my producer, Andy, will write, if someone he thinks is getting a bit or has the potential, he might just write, be careful or something like that. Or he'll say <laughs> it in my ear, just be careful yeah. with this one. And we're also in what's called delay. So what you're hearing on the radio is actually eight seconds old um, uh, to allow okay. us to use what's called the dump button. So, yeah. and we usually use it. I mean, swearing, yes, obviously, but unless it's one of the really, really couple of three really bad words, we'd normally let it go as long as it's in context. But it's if somebody um, says something which is libelous um, to somebody or defamatory, then mm -hmm. that is when we can really get ourselves into trouble. So we've got to be able to dump. So if, for example, somebody does defame someone um, or says a really bad word, we just hit the dump button. And mm -hmm. what you hear on the radio is it's, it sounds messy on the radio because it's basically a conversation just being stopped. But what it does is it stops the last eight seconds ever making it to the air. And yeah. it's the eight seconds during which they've probably defamed someone or said a really bad word. <laughs> Oh, I'll know what I'm looking for now when I hear those. I'll know that it wasn't just a glitch in the system, that it was That's actually it. a purposeful. Yeah. And, we, and we normally come back and explain and say, oh, we, Jerry got a bit, un, bit hot under the collar there, so we just had to get rid of him. And people understand, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you definitely do. Because, yeah, as you say, it's it's probably pretty commonplace that some people get a bit fired up and you've all got their uncle or whoever that will say, you know, go a bit far and you know who it is it's when you're listening to them. It's like, the Christmas radio, so. yeah, it's like Christmas dinner after a couple, you know, oh, Uncle Terry's <laughs> going to go off about such and such or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so within all of this sort of, you know, background where you started into your broadcasting, you did your law and all that, when did you meet your wife? When did the kids come along? Like, where did that kind of fit into the into the story there? Yeah, I've known my wife for a long time. We first met when I was 17 and she was 14. Um, we mm. worked together. Um, but there was, and, and there was a kind of a little bit of a spark between us, you know, as, as you know, well, I went to radio school just after my 21st birthday, so she would have just turned 18, I think. And just yeah. before I went to Christchurch, we kind of just had a little, I don't know what you'd even call it, a little dalliance with one another. But then I was going away yeah. and it just kind of fizzled out. And then mm. about 10 years later, um, I, I'd been mastered and Nelson came back to Wellington and we kind of just, um, we just reconnected. Um, that was in around 2001. Uh, mm. So we've been together since 2001. Uh, we were married in in 2006, yeah. um, Emma, Emma, our daughter, came along in 2004. So she um, she arrived. We got married in 06, and then Johnny, my son, arrived in 07. So yeah. Emma has just turned 20. Uh, Johnny yeah. was 16 in November. So um, so they've they've been a constant, obviously, in our lives for the last two decades. And so you were in radio that entire time. Uh, yes, I was. I I, I jumped out briefly. When I say briefly. I jumped out for a couple of years. Um, full time, I, I became what I rather grandly called a media freelancer. So yeah. I, um, I did some radio, but I also did some writing, 
Um, I did a bit of tutoring at, at a broadcasting school in Wellington, um, mm. and I did a bunch of stuff. Um, but then I kind of I, I got drawn back by a really good offer of a position um, in 2005. So I've been been back full time since 05. So yeah, Emma was, and it actually worked out quite well because being a freelancer, obviously the hours were a bit more flexible. So mm. the first couple of years of Emma's life, I had a lot more time with her than I perhaps otherwise would have if I'd been doing, you know, like a, a full-time job that required me to be at work. Um, yeah. So it worked out well for us. My wife was in full-time work. So um, or my partner, as she was then, to become my wife. And yeah. um, and so, you know, it, it gave me the opportunity in the first couple of years of Emma's life to spend quite a lot of time with her, um, which, was, cool. which was in hindsight really cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, because that is one of those times where when you're trying to earn the income or whatever it is, if you're, you know, at work, like, for instance, we've just had our second child, you know, and when you're on the one income, it's like, it's actually more important now that my income is substantive and that I'm at work full time, you know, like that I'm actually doing a good job because you need it, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can't, You kind of can't go without it. And so if, you know, if Sasha's going to be able to stay home with the kids and make that choice to, you know, want to be home with the kids and do that piece with her, like, you know, one of you has to be earning the the money to be able to make that work and to be able to make that sort of decision for for that lifestyle if that's what how you want to do it. I know some people, you know, might be more career oriented than that, but um that's quite cool for you that you got to experience that because a lot of fathers will be the ones, you know, because you can't do the breastfeeding, you can't do those other things. It's more so it's easier for you to stay at work, right? You know, having to do all these other um physiological things. hundred <laughs> percent. Oh look, a hundred percent. And often, you know, we still fall into those traditional roles, don't we? That the you know that the yeah. male is the bre- male is the breadwinner and and the and the the mum stays home with the kid with the kids plural you know and mm. and like it I I kind of feel as though these days nothing is off the table um, yeah because I mean I look at our situation my wife earns far more than I do so yeah. if we if we were going to you know if we transported ourselves back in time twenty years it would make and that was the situation it yeah. would make it makes economic sense for her to go back to work and for me to be the the primary caregiver at home you know yeah. and and i know a lot of a lot of couples you know are are it's not it's not even breaking with tradition anymore it's just the way that it is um yeah i've had a number of dads you, on the show yeah, who have been there because yeah. some of them will be online coaches or they'll have a business mm. of their own or whatever and so they've basically said hey you've got the substantive income the full-time role that's earning more money you know or has the potential to earn more money i've got the flexibility so i'm going to take that role like we've had probably a handful of dads on here that have actually been the ones to sort of be that key caregiver over those first you know, few years, just because, as you say, it made economic sense. Um, and yeah. lifestyle-wise, it made a lot of sense. It's, yeah, it's, it is way more common than it used to be. But it's a challenge, right? Because I think we still have this idea, you know, whether it's ingrained in us or not, and maybe it's different for, you know, for your generation. But I know with me, there was always this kind of expectation still that, you know, mm. the guy would do that. Um, and I almost, you know, when I was at home, and I, I almost feel a little bit ashamed to say this, but, you know, like when I used to take Emma out in her buggy, and and you'd think oh, are guys driving past in their cars on their way to work saying look at that guy, you know pushing yeah, his baby yeah. in a buggy. Why isn't he at work? You know, or shouldn't the mum be doing that kind of thing? And you know, it's just these little thoughts that occur to you when really now in hindsight, I had this. You know, I had a like you said before, I had a lot more time with my daughter when she was under the age of two than a lot of my friends 100%. who were working full time did. And whether that's whether that's developed a connection over time, who knows? But I mean, yeah. my daughter and I have a very good relationship, and and who knows whether 
that early it time together back to that early or not yeah, had yeah. A base. yeah. It, it, it certainly can't have hurt it i don't think because yeah i you know i look back and i you know i, I was sort of as a freelance like i'd, I'd almost be willing her to have her nap so I could do a bit of work, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot yeah. of dads face that challenge as well, you know, at work <laughs> or, or mums as well. Like if they're if they're trying to run a, you know, some sort of online business or, or work from home or do whatever it is, they're just in many ways just saying, man, can you just, you know, can you just have your afternoon nap? So at least you get an hour. <laughs> Give me at least an hour or two. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> get something done. Yeah. yeah I, the other thing I sort of found with that though is the challenging bit is if you're both kind of working a little bit, it means that when your partner comes home, they'll spend the time with the kid and you almost have to go back and do your role, you know, your work. And then it becomes a little bit more of a challenge, or at least that's what some of the guys have said. You like you haven't seen as much of the partner because you've almost had to divide and conquer, I guess, a little bit with that. Yeah. I, and I think that's where it's so important that, that you are a team and, mm. and you realize that it is just a moment in time and it's very easy to say it in hindsight. Um, yeah, but yeah. when you're in the, when you're right in the thick of it and you know, you're both tired um, you, you feel like your ships in the night, you know, any, any, um, spare time that you have together, you end up talking about the kids, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, having quality time together. I mean, you'll know, I'm sure exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, and you, even when you say, okay, right, we're going to have a night out, just us, we've got the, you know, in-laws to babysit or whatever it is, we're going to go out. You end up just talking about the kids, you know, it just, <laughs> it just is a default because they they consume your life, yeah, 100%. you know, and, it, and yeah, and it doesn't. I mean, over time that changes, but yeah, you, yes, but I I don't know whether it ever is too far away from from the main mm. topic of conversation. It's just the it's just the content of the conversations <laughs> that changes as they yeah. get older. But um, yeah, and, and it's it's so hard to do to actually say right, we must we must find a way to prioritize time together because then that puts extra pressure on you to say what well, right tonight we are not going to talk about the kids and then you sort of say well what are we going to talk about it? yeah you know before the what kids came along what else do we do <laughs> yeah what exactly right we must have had so much time um before the kids <laughs> I, arrived. I always look back at that and i just think to myself man how like how did i not do more like why was <laughs> i not having more outputs or something what how have i got a podcast now that i'm flipping you know got two children and all of them are three or under like how is that how is this the time i've started a bloody podcast i should have started this five years ago <laughs> yeah. but uh, i think you, your life just your life just um expands to fit stuff i 100%. think that's really what it is it's like if you get a pay rise you think oh, i'm going to have 10 more thousand <laughs> ten thousand more dollars no you know you just yeah yeah, yeah. yeah your spending just increases and you just spend another 10 grand but yeah it's um but like you say it's it's uh, it's a really really challenging time early on and you know two under three man kudos um we yeah we've got a slightly bigger gap and what helped there was when johnny was born emma was um what was she have been three and a half so yeah she could help you know oh yeah. can you just get an can you just get a nappy for us or hey can you go and get johnny's bottle or whatever it was <laughs> and she and she actually you know was able to whereas i guess in the yeah, situation Harvey, the two, harvey's what to say he was he was just under three when toby was born so it's like okay, so he's Yep. almost old enough to be helpful but he's still you know I, I probably still have that at three and a half to be honest you ask them to do something and they do the exact opposite or they run away laughing <laughs> at you or whatever you know like <laughs> but sometimes they'll listen to help you with this stuff but i mean hey yeah. you take what you get right he can sometimes bring his dishes up to the bench and hey that's a win you know compared to a couple of years ago where he'd flip it on the floor or something so oh, absolutely yeah and yeah just just um and i i totally get some some people have their kids close together some people space them out and, and often you don't get to choose you know you yeah you, you might with all the best intentions it's like it'll happen when it happens yeah. um, even with the best of planning and if everything goes to plan but um yeah it's 
I, I remember just on like Emma and Johnny, like I remember, um, I think there's always the stereotype or, or certainly an idea that um, all males want to have a son. Yeah. Um, you know, the father son thing is, you know, powerful bond and, you know, and, and I'd love to have a son and, you know, we could, I don't know, go hunting, shooting and fishing <laughs> together or whatever the heck it is, yeah. you know, but, but I remember after Emma was born, I, w- I would have, I remember when we were discussing whether we would have more children, I, I would be quite happy just to have daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough. We were lucky enough that Johnny arrived and, and as everyone says, as long as they're healthy, it doesn't matter. Hundred um, percent. We've been, we've been fortunate to have the experience of a, of a daughter and a son. But I remember, I just love being a dad to, to Emma. I, mm. I just absolutely love being a dad to a daughter, um, especially when it was just her. Even though yeah. I said before that sometimes I, you know, I had this internal conflict, um, yeah. you know, I, I, and I still do now. I, I, I know there's a very strong bond between father-son, but there is father-daughter as there is mother-daughter and mother-son. Yeah. Um, so they're all just slightly different in the way that they that they play out. But, yeah, my um, um my sister, her and her husband have four girls, um you know, and they they had four under five, so like that. Oh. that's that's next level. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. But you know, that's that's the sort of thing. Sometimes people will say stuff like that, you know, to my brother-in-law, and he, you know, in all honesty, is absolute just loves it. You know, like loves being a dad to the four girls, and you know, people, oh, I don't wish he had a boy. I don't think he actually, you know, <laughs> I don't think he could care less. I think he's stoked with what he's got, and you know, loves all of them. So it's, it is that thing yeah. that people do say that or think that, and I guess probably it's probably easy for me to say that, considering I have two boys, right? Like I, I haven't had that experience, I guess, of of not having a son. But I, I think generally, you know, once once they come out, you kind of just that. I don't know that bond that you have instantly, you know, like straight away. It was, it's, it's the strangest thing. And I remember people saying that before we had Harvey. And then I remember when Harvey was born and I'm just like, what is this? Like, where did this kind of emotion or love or connection come from? Because it's not, I don't know, you've never had that type of connection before. Like, you know, like you've loved someone, you loved your parents, your family, your wife, all of those types of things. But actually, yeah, it's just a different, different experience and yeah I, I i can't put into words what that is but you're right you know straight away as soon as they're there <laughs> yeah i yeah. think every parent every parent can can um recognize the feeling that you're talking about without necessarily being able to articulate it mm. and you know and you're right it's just a it's a it's a feeling that is so much stronger than anything else you've ever felt um you mm. know it is a desire to want to protect them um you know uh, just a a gnawing pain when things don't go well for them and as they get yeah. older you know that's you watch them go through their challenges in life and and you want desperately to make it better and you can't and that's you know another emotion again that you really don't feel with too many other people um apart from your own kids so yeah um, is, yeah, is it quite uh, funny like because obviously you're at quite a different phase with the, you know the older kids and i sort of think back to myself now like when I look back at the things that when I was 16 or 18 or 20, that seemed like the most significant, you know, heartbreaking, whatever it is thing at that time. And with that perspective of what, 15, 20 years back, you kind of look back and you're like, that wasn't even that big of a thing. Like, how do you kind of, like, do you have that same sort of experience with your own emotions? Like, and as you look back at some of those experiences, you're younger and you can kind of see them in hindsight. It must be quite hard to have that foresight and then see your kids go through that yeah i think what i don't know if that question makes a lot of sense but it does make it makes perfect sense and and the and i've had to and i mean like 
what, what, my wife is an amazing person, um, amazing wife, incredible mum, and just a, just the person with the most common sense that I've ever encountered. So I just got very, very lucky that I found her. <laughs> but one thing that she's taught me is that you, even though you know that with the hindsight and the experience you've got, that you're right. That isn't, you know, yes, you've broken up with your girlfriend, mate. It's not a big deal. She's, you know, clean more fish in the sea, blah, blah. You can't not validate their feelings at that time because to them mm-hmm. at that time, it is a big deal. Um, you know, yeah. it's so, so you have to find a way to make sure that you're not just sort of almost brushing off their feelings and, and invalidating their feelings, even though you know that, you know, that it'll get better. And, and it really, you know, like when you get older, you'll look back and say, well, man, why was I? <laughs> so upset about that or why did that mean so much to me at the time i think you feel what you feel um, and, and that's yeah, how human yeah. beings that's how human beings work so uh, i think the best best thing we can do and it took me a while to do it um is to is to make sure that i validate my kids feelings even when they were six seven eight years old yeah i mean uh, such and such you know even when they're younger i, I, I think it, maybe it comes more into play when they're sort of like teenagers and they're starting to feel more adolescent going into mm-hmm. um, teenage and then young adult emotions you know that thing everything's going to be all right but i think you still have to give them the time and the space to feel those emotions rather than just be told by the parents, hey this isn't really that important yeah and uh, your parents probably the worst person <clears throat> to tell you that at that time as well aren't they absolutely <laughs> you just get a door and you, you just get a door slammed in your face <laughs> yeah <laughs> Harvey, Harvey can slam the doors now, but he doesn't do it for that purpose. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Anymore does it on accident. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those funny things. I sort of, yeah, you think back to your own teenage years, eh, and you remember how big everything was and how much everything seemed to be so important. Like you didn't get this, you know, you didn't get a prefect badge or you didn't get this or someone broke up with you or whatever it was. And all of those things are just like your emotion level is up here. And I kind of feel like that's, it's really hard now for me to kind of think that because I kind of go, you know, like this, like I go a little bit up and down. <laughs> I have not these dramatic extremes anymore. And I think as as males as well, I don't know if it is just a male thing, but I don't think we tend to, as we get older, at least have those same sort of experiences. But I don't know if it's the testosterone or whatever it is when you're a teenager, but you do tend to have these way bigger swings. Um, and you, you look back and you think, oh, why did I put that much em- emphasis on that? But as you say, at the time, that was your emotion. That was that was yeah. what you felt. And I often think, you know, I talked about failing law before, and I think to myself at the time, as I said before, it was the it was a catastrophe in my life. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd never true. been a straight A student, but I'd never failed anything um, at secondary school. I got through fine, and and then I think to myself, if I'd got seven more percent, if I'd got fifty instead of forty three, I probably would have studied law, and mm. I probably would have, I presume anyway, entered into the you know the business of law. And I look at where I am now, and I think I probably would have found my way here. Yeah. Just would have taken a, a different route. Um, but I, you know, it's again though, you know, you can at the time when emotions are raw and and things have just happened, rather than being able to hover above them with the benefit of a bit of hindsight, they do they they are you know very very challenging yeah. times for for especially for young adults. I guess I guess like thinking of this as well from the adult perspective, I guess there are times still when you experience those really high and low emotions. Like I still do, but it's probably 
less frequent than it was back then, if that makes sense. Like, you'll still have experiences. Like, we dealt with infertility, and that was obviously all-consuming. You know, that was a massive all-consuming mm. thing for us for, for, you know, the three or four years that that was going on. And sort of, you then now look back and you're like, wow, that, like, I remember all those emotions, but I don't, like, I don't feel them now. And it, I guess that's the benefit of being older is you do understand that the emotions all pass a little bit more right like you get that um which is probably the thing you miss when you're younger you haven't had the experience of i've felt this before i felt really happy and it's come back i felt really sad and it's come back um yeah yeah flip we're going very deep tonight aren't we Barney? well I, and, like the whole the, the, and, and i i I mean, we've, we were fortunate in that, in that um, we, we didn't have any um, infertility challenges. You know, we, we thought, hey, let's start a family, and it pretty much happened straight away. And then even when <laughs> we decided to try again for Johnny again, it didn't actually take us that long. But I've often thought about I, – I often look at, look at life as three in, in three-thirds. Mm. One is sleep, one is work, and one's the other stuff. And if one of those three things isn't going well, the other two will will absolutely suffer as a result. So if you're not sleeping well, you can't work very well and you're a bit grumpy at home. If work isn't going well, you're not going to sleep. And again, you're grumpy at home. But if things in that third third, and I can't imagine the challenging times and the uncertainty and the stress of something like infertility you're going to be going mm. off to work and 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 like it, your heart's not in it and then you're lying awake at night and I, I often you know you often see people don't you at work and they're a bit um you know they're, they're a bit quiet or, or whatever and then you find out later actually they were dealing with some pretty you know intense stuff mm. uh it always makes me you know you, you, I, you just don't that's... know somebody's backstory right I think it's one of the reasons why, like, with people at least that I was relatively close to, you know, like, I wouldn't be too shy about sharing that stuff. And if anyone else was going through it, if they have friends that are like that, I would I would encourage those that you're comfortable sharing, you know, that stuff with that you would rather than holding it back. Because I think there's something about that. Like, when we when we started going through the IVF stuff and we, we lost the first one that we got put in, it was 11 weeks that we lost that one. And that was just the most you know, devastating thing for us because you're so close to that, you know, magic 12 weeks type scenario and you think you're home and hosed. And so you start to tell a few more people, but like the support that we were able to get because people knew and we could talk to them, you know, like my brother came up straight away, him and his wife and his family from Wellington, and they were there, you know, within within basically five hours probably or, or 12 hours of it happening. Mum was down, you know, like that sort of stuff. And because we had told people we had that ability to have the support, and I know not everyone probably wants people there in those moments but I still think you know if there's at least one or two close friends that you can kind of be open about these things it is really really helpful because as you say it's it's a pretty tough tough thing and you do notice people you know and I guess I'm a bit more aware of that you know people around our age or a little bit younger who may be seeming a little bit like that I'm always a bit tentative about that stuff and I try you know as much as I've got a podcast about being a dad I try not to be like you know too sharing of some of that parenthood stuff around people that I think could be having those issues because you you've got to be sensitive about it because when I was in that that was that was triggering you know like you'd hear some story about someone with their kid and you just longed for that thing you know like yeah. um, and people and you, or you're somewhere and you say hey when are you two going to start a family oh it's that's like, the worst oh my god it's like <laughs> you know no one means any harm by it but say, come on you guys you must be ready to have kids and we, we are we are we're, we're doing our best here you know yeah. I'm sure that's what it's like one of one of Sasha's aunties actually they went through 
I don't know if they had infertility or if they were just choosing not to have children, but people would ask, you know, go up to them and be like, oh, you're not getting any younger, you better have kids soon. And supposedly the answer that she gave them was, oh, we've been trying, we've been trying, you know, in the laundry, we've been trying on the stairs, we've been trying on the couch, like all of these things to these people. And then people just wouldn't ever ask her about it again. So. <laughs> Her personality allows her to do that, that, but I wouldn't be able to do that, but she could do it straight-faced and then she never got questioned about it again because people were like, oh, I don't have that awkward conversation. Exactly. Oh, yeah, (laughs) oldest, yeah, let's change the subject. (laughs) So, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's it's a funny one, their strategies, but you are right. I don't think people intend to be, you know, to be triggering you, but you kind of can't help. And then the other thing is you're at the age as well where everyone else is having kids, so there's kind of that trigger as well, but... um, But yeah, I mean, that was one of those times definitely that I think back to as an adult where, you know, those really high and low emotions did come into play. So <laughs> I, I minimised a little bit before in terms of, oh, I'm always around here. Nah, mate, you've actually been up and down here. You've just got the the filter on at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just delighted you've got... Uh... You've got your two sons. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, but, but yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't possibly imagine the journey you've been on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And it is one of those things. I've tried to be honest, as I say. I've got a couple of podcasts where I talk through the story. I wrote some stuff about it because I I like putting things down into words. Um. So you know, and that's been helpful for other people. You know, where people reach out and stuff. So it's kind of been been nice to be able to kind of use that bad experience to kind of make other people feel like they're not alone. You know, and have that kind yeah, of mate. thing with it. And that's. So what you've got to do yeah. with the hard things, right, is, is try and help others if you can, because there's always going to be someone that's dealing with something that you've experienced. And if you can help them a little bit, that's good. And that's a, that, that's if there is a silver lining to adversity and, and you know, even tragedy in your life, um, mm. it's that it's an ability to help other people who, who face similar things, um, mm. you know. And, and yeah, I, um, um, my brother died when he was 20. Um, I was, um, I would have been, what have I been, 23, 22, 20, yeah, uh, and he had just about turned 20. So, yeah, the silver lining of it is that I, I now know how to be around people who have suffered loss. Yeah. Um, and that before, you know, you know, if someone, someone's family member dies, you know, shiver, should we go around there? What do we do? I don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. You, you, you just go. You go, and you don't even have to say anything, but you're just there to show support. Yeah. Um, and the way that my parents have been with other um, couples who have lost children, they've been very, I presume anyway, helpful, but certainly very willing mm. to, you know, to share their experiences of of losing my brother. Um, yeah. So I think if there's any silver lining to adversity and tragedy, it's an ability to yeah, to help other people who face exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any other siblings or was it just yeah, your brother? No, no, I've got my, my sister. Um, I've got an older sister. Uh, yeah. She lives in Auckland. She's got uh, two kids, my niece and nephew, Josh and Ella. Uh, yeah. Josh would be 23, Ella 21. Yeah. Uh, Josh is a apprentice plumber and Ella has got the travel bug. Um, now that COVID's uh, clutches have, uh, have gone, so she's about to go and um, uh, set up camp in Australia. Um, yeah, so there were the three of us growing up, um, yeah. and you know, all very close in age. Um, so yeah, I don't don't quite know how mum and dad did it at times with the three of us, but um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so there were the, there were the three of us up until uh, when Andy passed away. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool, man. That's yeah. It's it's always interesting, kind of thinking of how many kids you have versus how many like mm. we're in your sibling thing because you often see that it ends up being quite a similar 
Um, similar number yeah. of people with big families often like big families. People with smaller families often prefer the smaller families. Um, yeah, well, my wife. <laughs> yeah, my wife's one of four, and we yeah. after we had Johnny, we were we were like, okay, shall we have one more? Shall we try to have one more? And at at various times over that you know discussion period, um, both of us wanted another one. Both of us didn't want another <laughs> one. I wanted another one, and Bex didn't, and vice versa. So we had four different dynamics going all at the same time until we eventually landed on, okay, we're gonna we're gonna sit with what we've got. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you think, you know, you think, hey, wouldn't it? But but my family doesn't incomplete to me yeah. now that gets you know i can't ever imagine it being anything other than the four of us <laughs> um but yeah it's it's funny you know how you you're right though eh? that that um if you've if you've grown up with siblings around you 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 want that for your kids as well yeah. um and, and yeah especially in i think big, that's big why families. i think of having three as well because yeah. we my, myself and my older brother and then we've got a younger sister so I'm like, oh, if we had another one and it was a girl, it'd be like the exact same setup exactly. for our kids. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to be careful. Eh? You don't want you don't want to try and force your childhood onto your own children, right? Like it's it's going to oh, be a different true. experience. And you know, I'm I'm thinking at the moment, you know, I'm still in Palmy, and it's like oh, I'd love my kids to go to Palmy Boys, um, you know, because I went there and it's like, Hayden, if you end up moving to be with the in-laws up in Sodoma or whatever it might be, like. <laughs> There's another boys' school up there. They can have a little bit similar experience. But what if they don't want to go to that one? Like, you, yeah. you know, do you force them or not? So I'm like, ah, remember your childhood is your childhood. Don't force your one onto someone else. They don't have to do athletics or they don't have to do rugby. They can oh, kind of make those decisions. So um, how, how did you kind advice. of find that as well? Like when the kids got older, were they into sport? Because obviously they'd grow up with the sport mad dad. You're probably off at events, I imagine, all the time. Um, did that help yeah. hinder or what did you kind of find with that? Um, it's, it's been a mix. Um, Johnny, my son is sports mad. Um, yeah. he, um, is right into his American sport, uh, plays basketball, plays football, uh, yeah. um, very active. Um, Emma is more into uh, music and the arts. Um, she can sing and play the guitar and, but, and, mm. and growing up, she, she was, you know, played a bit of netball. Um, she was, you know, she was good at it, you know, and, and, but, but it has not carried on with that. Um, mm. But I, I think Al and my wife was a very, very good softball player um, and also played basketball growing up. So both of us were very active growing up. But I think we, we decided pretty early on, as I'm sure most parents do, that that as long as they're giving something a go, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. If, if it's sport or if it's learning to play the guitar or if it's, you know, doing needlework or whatever it is that grabs them, if so, you know, give a lot of stuff a go. That's why mm. I think the, the whole balance is better thing in sport is is yeah. absolutely bang on the money. I mean, it's very very rare to find a, a sports person who um, who didn't do a bunch of stuff when they were growing up, yeah. um, and they just ended up landing on whatever it is that landed on. Um, yeah. You know, I think like I think a lot of people with my background in football thought that Johnny would be, um, you know, and he for a while he was you know he played a lot of football, but then he he did you coach just, any of his sides or anything? Yeah, when he was younger, I did. Yeah, I just like, yeah. I mean, uh, and that's another great way to spend time with your kids is to get involved in their activities. Um, mm. But but then he, um, when he was about 10 or 11, just kind of just almost fell out of love with football, if he'd ever been in love yeah. with it. He just didn't like it as much anymore. And he said to Bex, my wife, oh, I'm worried about telling dad that I don't want to play football anymore. <laughs> and, you know, and so I thought to myself afterwards and reflecting, man, have I, have I, in some way just either consciously or subconsciously demanded Push of that. him that he played yeah. football, you know, and and I don't think I did, but 
I think maybe he knew because I do commentary and I was kind of, yeah. you know, people kind of, I, I guess people know me, as you said before, as a bit the of a voice. football person. Yeah, yeah. it's football. like, it's like yeah. what do you mean your own son doesn't play? It's like, <laughs> you know, maybe, I mean, I never thought that, but maybe that was going through his head. Um, fortunately, again, um, my wife, total common sense, she said, don't worry what dad thinks, whatever you want to do, you do. <laughs> and it's and it's funny because he's found his way back now. He, 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 um, yeah. he didn't play for a few years and he's, he's a, school now and he's a bunch of his friends play it so he's back playing you know and, and it's almost a, like a free hit for him because mm-hmm. basketball is kind of his main sport he takes that very seriously but football is just just a way to you know just to hang out with his mates which is which is really cool yeah yeah that's awesome I like yeah it is one of those things I kind of you know being at this end of the parenting spectrum at the moment I'm like I wonder what they're going to be into I wonder what kind of the, they're going to like doing and you know is it going to be the things that I was into is it going to be something 100%. different is it like I have yeah. no idea you know like um, we were never very big on music in our, you know, in my immediate family, but that's just because, I don't know, we weren't doing a lot of that stuff growing up. Our parents weren't really into that sort of thing. And I don't really actually know how we got super engaged in sport, like, because my dad wasn't, you know, a, a fanatic of any sort of game. Like, he'll watch stuff, but he was never, you know, one of those religious followers of a team or something like that. Um, but my brother, I think, is what got us mine. into it, was he, he got into... I think it was rugby union back when the super rugby started. I think he kind of got interested in it. And then obviously being the little brother, you know, going along with him, I wanted to be doing what he was doing. And so I kind of got engaged in watching it and he supported the hurricanes. And so I supported the chiefs. We were living up in the Waikato at the time. So I do have a reason for that. Um, but yep. Also there was that little bit of, you know, I want to support the opposite team as him because I want my team to beat his team. Um, so yeah, it's quite an interesting yeah. thing, but I, yeah, I don't know how we sort of ended up like that. It just sort of must have been what had him and his friends are into. And then I found that interesting. I'm a competitive person in all all facets of life. So obviously sports are a good outlet for that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's sort of people find their way to their thing or things plural in, in so many different ways. Mm. You know, they just do. And sometimes it takes people a while. It's like anything in life. You know, you don't not everything you try on is going to fit. So, you know, give up a bunch of stuff a crack. And mm-hmm. I often, like, I often see, you know, some of my my kids' friends, and they don't really know what they want to do, you know, and they're yeah. approaching the time when, and that's, an, it's like the whole baby question. Oh, yeah, have you worked out what you're going to do next year? Yeah. You know, for when you leave school, yeah. and and a lot of them don't. They don't know. But you don't have to decide when yeah. you when you're 18. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was 18. <laughs> you know, um, Bex, my wife, her first job, she she studied to be a nanny. And then she um, she worked in a in a um, petrol station. She was pumping. We often talk about that. She didn't go to university or anything. She mm-hmm. was she basically pumped gas for a, for a couple of years. Kind of worked out what she wanted to do. Now she's a um, she's a general manager at an IT company. Yeah. You know, so it's funny where you end up. And I often say that to to my two. It's like you don't have to decide now. Yes, yes, yeah. you need to you know, to involve yourself and especially Emma, because she's 20, you need to involve yourself in something and, and do something, you know, even if it's just a placeholder at the moment. Um, you know, Emma had a year um, studying um, auto engineering at Fitzgerald mm. Polytech. And at the end of it, she's like, you know, dad, I don't know whether I really want to be a mechanic anymore. I said, Emma, you have not wasted your year. You've just spent a year learning how to fix cars. Yeah, that's going to come in handy. completely <laughs> passed me by. You know, I've got no clue. So, you know, so I guess as, as kids get older, you know, I think a lot of people are very, very keen for their kids to, to find their path. Um, mm. I, I kind of feel as though, you know, often the path isn't even, isn't even evident yet. As long yeah. as people are moving in a direction, 
rather than just sort of sitting still, trying things out. Another, my, my niece is another, my niece through um, just because she kind of liked what I did, um, went to radio school, worked in radio for a bit, and then it didn't work out, became a personal trainer like that, but yeah. then sort of, oh, is this me? Now she's a teacher. You yeah. know, you just try different stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm probably rare, and that, like I said before, <laughs> this is the only thing I've ever done, and I yeah. don't know what I'd do if I couldn't do it, but but in terms of your kids, and, and you know what it's like now, Hayden, you know, there are so many different so many opportunities things. opening up. Jobs for your kids There's new, won't new even things be popping up yet. now that we don't even know. Yeah. Exactly right. You know, what, what you're yeah. to end up doing is probably not even invented yet. Yeah, 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 exactly. Brian, man, I think uh, this is probably a good place for us to transition into our final three so that we don't end up here all night because I feel like we could probably spin <laughs> yarns for another couple of hours. <laughs> it is my job, as I say. I don't know what else I do apart from talk, but yep, no, absolutely. <laughs> we don't want to end up on the graveyard shift, mate. <laughs> this is true. Um, so I sent those questions through to yesterday, so hopefully you've had a bit of a chance to have a have a think through them, but we've got those final three, which we basically ask every guest that comes on the show and kind of, um, they're a little bit selfish from my perspective in, in a way, but you know, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? It's me getting to talk to people that I'm <laughs> interested in learning about and hopefully sharing those learnings with other people. So I could do what I want on my own show, right? <laughs> yep, exactly right. It's your show. Uh, absolutely right. Cool. So this first question in the final three is what is a parenting tip um, or word of advice that you would have for a new dad? So someone in their first sort of few years of parenting or of that parenthood journey. Yeah, I'm going to take it right back to the very start um, because I've, I've often thought that the first three to six months of any child's life must just be erased from their parents' memory, you know, what it was like in that first six months. Otherwise, nobody would ever have more than one kid. <laughs> If you had vivid memories of the first six months of your child's life, and I'm not talking about the, the cool stuff, but the sleepless nights, and yeah. the, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So my advice for the for the very new dad is just hang in and just mm. do whatever is needed. You'll get a thousand pieces of advice, and they'll be contradictory. And everyone, as you know, is very free to give out advice, but just do whatever gets you through the night. Just mm -hmm. do whatever is needed. These, you know, kids don't turn up with an instruction book and say, do this. There are a million books of advice, but only you are parenting your child. So do whatever feels right for you. And as long as that, that baby is safe, then you're not doing anything wrong. Good advice. <laughs> I, I I can't, you know, I'm... You hear things, you know, like, oh, they shouldn't sleep in your bed or they should sleep here. I'm like, oh. Harvey comes into my room every night and we've got, we sleep in two beds at the moment. Sasha's yeah. in her room, I'm in my room. And that's the way it is because it means we both each get more sleep than we would otherwise. So let's do that. <laughs> and that's, that's a perfect example, right? A perfect example. You'll read books that will say, that's wrong. Why is it wrong? The people who wrote that book aren't parenting your two sons. You're doing yeah. that. So whatever is right for you is right for you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more as long as, as you say, the kid's safe and happy yeah. and healthy. We're good. <laughs> um, second one we've got here in the final three, Piney, is is there a new habit or something that you've kind of changed in the routine or the way that you do things in the last, I don't know, six to 12 months that's made a bit of an impact on your life? Doesn't have to be it's related just, to parenting, doesn't have to be related. We didn't even actually talk too much about your training, but it doesn't have to be related to training. Um, just something that's made a bit of an impact for you. It's just a very small thing, um, but it's something that I've just, I don't even know where, how, where the idea came from. But when I pull up to traffic lights now, when I'm sitting at traffic lights, 
I consciously just breathe and just, you know, just breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth and just, I guess, just find a moment of serenity because mm. I think, you know, when you're sitting at traffic lights, there's always an impulse, oh, I'll just check my phone yeah. or, or I'll just play with the radio or whatever it might be. So it, it's just, it's a trigger where you can't go anywhere. You're there for anywhere between 10 seconds and a minute, depending on where you are. So I just try to have a moment of serenity when I'm sitting at a traffic light and then it goes green and then I'm on with my day again. And it might not happen. I mean, you might not be in traffic lights every day. You might go a week without one, but it's just, it's almost like a little trigger just to remind yourself to, I guess, just to, it's almost a very, very mini meditation. Yeah. And then mindfulness also, type thing. Yeah, yeah. Mindfulness. That's, that's the word. And, yeah. and, and thinking about, man, I'm lucky, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky. And just, just have that moment, little few seconds of peace, but, but at a, almost like a pre-programmed time, if that makes sense, because. Quite good. Cause you kind of almost doing that habit stacking type thing, right? You're going to stop yeah. at the red light. <laughs> you yeah. always stop at the red light. So now when you stop at the red light, the breathing is the thing that gets stacked on top of that. Like, yeah, yeah it's quite, a, that's, that's quite right. a good one, actually. A, I like that because it's yeah. only a small thing. It's not a hard piece to do, right? A couple of easy no. breaths and relaxing. So. That's it. That's it. Yeah, so that's my that's my my little little habit that I've I've tried lately. And yeah, look, there's it working? Who knows? But I mean, but I you know I I used to hate traffic lights. Now I don't mind them. <laughs> it's it's a good way to also get rid of some of that road rage, right? That's true too. <laughs> Someone's just done that's something stupid in front well. of you before the light. You've now got to just relax. That's and right. Sit there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting on the horn. You know, just breathe. Just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. Beep. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the last one that we've got here is. Are there any book and or podcast recommendations? Obviously, we'd all say listen to News Talk ZB as it's Saturday, 12 till 3. Um, yeah, very but good. outside well of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I tend to, um, my reading tends to, um, I, I read a lot of sporting autobiographies, um, but I also, like, I also like to mix it up with a bit of fiction. So there's no, mm-hmm. I, I'm just very, very general when it comes to that sort of thing. Podcasts I've been listening to more and more. And again, they tend to be sporting ones, but there's, um, yeah. there's a couple that, um, I've found really, really interesting, actually sports people, but on other topics. One is um, Amelia Kerr, the um, the Whitefern Cricketers Treading Water Series. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, she's a absolute diamond of a human being, Amelia mm. Kerr. And um, she's put a series out, which is about dealing with mental health issues. Um, and she talks to athletes, but also just to people in all walks of life about their experiences with um, with their mental health and how they've overcome challenges, um, you know, everything from from failure in, in sport and how you can make sure that, you know, that doesn't translate into you thinking you're a failure in all parts of your life to people who have suffered tragedy, adversity of all kinds. So, yeah, Amelia Kerr's um, Treading Water. The other one I want to mention is um, a guy I've become friends with in the Wellington cricket team, the men's team. Uh, named Logan Van Beek, and he's got mm. a, a podcast called Follow Through with LVB, and yeah. he talks to a wide range of people about how they've um, followed through with their dreams, their aspirations, their goals, that sort of thing, um, oh, yeah. and he brings a really fresh perspective to it, and that he's been a high-achieving sports person himself, but he's um, he's very good at drawing stuff out of other people as well, so yeah, so Treading Water by Millie Kerr and uh, Follow Through with LVB uh, from Logan Van Beek. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Pioneer. Is there anywhere anywhere that you'd want to send people to follow you or tell them just to listen to the radio? What's kind of the go there? <laughs> yeah, oh, look, uh, I, 
if they want to tune in to ZB 12 to 3, I would say on a Saturday and Sunday, look, the 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 um the ZB bandwagon is of infinite size. <laughs> Plenty of room to jump on. If you don't like it, there's no compulsion to stay. You can jump off whenever you like. But yeah, look, I um I, I'm just delighted, Hayden, to have been asked on to to chat to you. We've probably gone well over your time frame, mate. But absolutely um, fine. But I, been, I, as I say, yeah. happy as to go over. But uh, <laughs> we, we yeah, both need to get to great, sleep mate. at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. And and um yeah, like I say, to all all the dads um who are listening, you know, just just hang in. Um, we're all just out here doing our best. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. If you found anything within this episode valuable, please be sure to share it with someone else who you think might benefit from its content. Don't forget to give the podcast a rating on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to follow along with what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at hjp_strongerdads. Right, we'll see you on the next one.